was thinking a few weeks ago that we have a long time since we've had one service during Easter, since we've been at one service during an Easter season. This year we are. And usually we have 300 additional visitors and guests, which, by the way, I hope you are thinking and praying about who you may invite to come on Easter. There was a time in my life I was hard on those people who only showed up at church on Easter and Christmas. And now I'm just at a place in my life where I just love how the grace of God works. And if that's the only time someone comes to church this year, then, hey, God can meet them here. The church becomes a witness to people. So I hope you have someone in mind. And maybe you write that name on one of our prayer tables at the end of this service and let us know who we can be praying over. But the fact that we'll have 300 additional guests on Easter Sunday means we'll have well over 900 people on our campus. This room's not going to hold them. Our parking lot's not going to hold them. So other churches do this sometimes. And on Easter, we're going to add an Easter service for that day. It's going to be 7.30 in the morning, which for some of you are like, yeah, there's no way. And some of you are like, man, we can do that, all right? Uh, but we're not messing with our 9 o'clock class time. We're not messing with the 10:15 time. Those are going to go on. We'll have class the same, worship the same. The worship services will be the same, but we're going to add a 7.30 Easter service on Easter. Um, we're in a series called Sin Exposed. You can see the image on the screen of a snare that Justin Arger created because that's a, a lot of times that's how sin works. And um, I, I've tried telling you every week, and this series is leading up to Easter Sunday, um, I've tried telling you every week that part of what I'm trying to do is to highlight that what Jesus has accomplished through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, what Jesus has accomplished should be motivation for us to sin less in our lives. Now, I know people, and you do too, and I know churches, and you know some churches too, who are captivated by human sin, and it's all they want to talk about. Sometimes you can get in a circle of people, and all you want to talk about, all, the whole discussion is about human sin, how, how many sinners are around us, and how bad... The Washington is full of sinners, and the city's full of sinners, and there's just sin everywhere, and they're captivated by human sin, and it seems to be all some want to talk about, but what I want to place in front of people, and this is happening in places too, I want people to be captiva- captivated by Jesus, and what he has accomplished, and what he has to offer, and that Jesus desires for people to desire his kingdom. Now, um, some, some people want to talk so much about sin and how bad we are as sinners, and then Jesus simply becomes a footnote in that story. I don't know about you, but I've seen evangelistic tracts before that are handed out to people, you know, when they're trying to evangelize them, which walk people through certain things that they need to do to give their life to Jesus, like um, you need to hear the Bible and believe in the Bible or believe in God and confess and repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And I've read entire evangelistic tracts, and some of them I have never one time seen the word Jesus show up in the track. And I don't want to be a part of a story that tries to highlight human sin and Jesus becomes the footnote to rescue you from that sin, but I want to be part of a story where Jesus is the one who is highlighted. And then we talk about human sin through what Jesus has accomplished. And I've laid before you, the first time sin shows up in the New Testament is Matthew 1, 21. It's God talking to Joseph. And the way it works there is that Jesus came into the world to deal with sin. So the first time sin's mentioned in the New Testament isn't about how sin came to ruin us. It's about how Jesus came to ruin sin. And he came to deal with it once and for all. So um, I came across this town in Norway, 
I believe it's called uh, Rucon, but since I'm from Texas, we call most things like Rucan because we don't do we do the A's differently, you know. It's a little town that was uh, founded just over a hundred years ago, and the guy who founded that town, he was a scientist. He considered himself to be an artist. He was a creative type, and what he found in this town, way north in Norway, and what he found is that um, what he wanted to do was to harness the power of a 100-meter waterfall to generate hydroelectricity. And through this, and this is at the turn of well over 100 years ago, and you can see this town that was created or built and founded deep in this valley that he was able to create things that would end up blessing the world. The very first ever power plant was right there in this town of Rukan. And down in that valley, 3,500 people live, and they live in the shadows. They live in the shade that for six months of the year, they do not feel the rays of the sun. It's sunlight. But the sun is over that mountain or over the mountain on their other side, Uh, but they live down in the shade. 3,500 people who from late September to mid-March, they don't feel the rays of the sun. Now, some of you come to me when we don't see, feel the rays of the sun for like five or six days in the wintertime, and you go into a funk, right? Can you imagine living in this place? One person said, the sun seems like it is right there that I could reach out and touch it, but I can't. Someone else talked about how um, to, to experience the sun, what they have to do is they have to leave their town to go up on the mountain to see the sun. Someone else talked about in the winter, it is so hard on them and they become so sad because they, they desire and they crave the light. And I hear stories coming from that place and I hear quotes coming from it and I think to myself, I don't think the people I preach in front of have to go to Rukan, Norway to experience and to be able to say that. Because it may be not you, but I bet somebody within your like sphere of influence or your group of friends, you can think of somebody who you rub shoulders with who would describe their life right now as they are people who are living in the shade or they're living in the darkness or, or they're in a season or a phase of darkness right now and it's like they can see the sun or they can see the light and it's so close, yet it's also so far. In 1928, they wanted to do something about it. So in 1928, in this town in Norway, they built cable cars. In 1928, they built cable cars, and it would carry people down in that valley, in the shade and in the, in the shadow. It would carry them up to the top of the mountain where there would be a cafe where they could sip on some good coffee and see this majestic view, and they could feel the rays of the sun. And now, almost 100 years later, there are still those cable cars that move. And here's a quote that got me, and I have it up on the screen. Someone said this, living in the shade makes you afraid to dream of the sun. Like the valley walls, minds without sun become somehow a little bit narrower. All right, so here's what I want to do today. Uh, I want to talk about what it means to live in the shadows because some of you are there or you probably know people who are. And sometimes to step out of the shadows, it's this adventure. It takes risks. It's daring. Some of you may have been in a shadow or in that shade for so long, you can't even imagine a different kind of life. And a lot of times we find ourselves in the shade and in the shadows or maybe in some season or phase of darkness because of sin. And let me, let me 
paint a picture for a couple of, uh, two different groups this morning, because some of you find yourself in that place because of human sin, because of sin in your own life. Uh, and uh, something I try to lay before you is that I want you to believe this, that there was no such thing as private secret sin in your life that does not have an impact on every other relationship and every other facet of your life. You may think that there's some kind of unhealthy emotion that is developed into sin in your life, yet it's not impacting other people, but it is. You may think that how you click on a mouse or on your phone is your own secret sin, yet it's not affecting other people, but it is. There's no such thing as sin in your life that doesn't have an impact on other, all other relationships. Yet I know some of you may find yourself in the shadows or in some shade or in some kind of season or phase of darkness, and it's not because of your sin. It's because God has given free will to other people, that the enemy is on the move, and it's the sin of other people has now wounded your life because there are people in this room who did not ask for divorce or to be cheated on or for certain things to happen to you or the enemy is at work in our world to, to bring death and all kind of cancer and heartache. And these are not things you signed up for. They are not cards you wanted to be dealt in life. But since the enemy is moving throughout the world, it may not be your own personal sin that puts you in that place, but the sin of other people or the work of the enemy. And I want to offer up some good news about God today to you. We open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And I just want to move through a few verses in 1 John. And we're just going to go verse by verse through the end of 1 John chapter 1 and even into uh, chapter 2 just a little bit. And I'm not going to have the verses on the screen this morning. So I hope you have your Bible in front of you. If you have the app on your phone, I want you to pull that out because we're going to read some verses full of goodness today, full of God's faithfulness. They're challenging. And I want to begin in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And here's what he says. This is the message I give to you. All right, so in other words, like John just letting you know right up front in this little letter he writes that here's the message I give to you. Of all things I could think about that would highlight the reason While I'm writing this letter to you, here it is. Here's the message I give to you. God is light. I I mean, there are a lot of different ways he could have talked about this that would honor the Bible. God is love. God is great. God is good. God is powerful. But what he focuses is on, here's the message that I've received from God and I hand on to you. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. All right, I need you to believe that the light of God did not come into the world as a response to the enemy, as a response to Satan. The light of God was in the world, came into the world, was spoken into the world before Satan was on the prowl. So the light of God is not just God's response to what sin does in our life. The light of God came into the garden for people to thrive in that light. So it's the message, God is light in him, there's no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and we do not do what is true. In other words, if you are claiming to have fellowship with God, yet you are not walking in obedience with the Lord, you are not being true to who God has created you to be. You're not being true to who Jesus saved you to be. Um, all right, so let me, let me, let me set up a, a quote I want to give you today. Because some of what we've talked about over the last few weeks is um, uh, we have tried to replace the word sin for other words. 
So in place of sin, sometimes what we'll say is, uh, let's talk about our slip-ups, or let's talk about uh, how, we, how we miss the mark sometimes. And I'm not against those phrases, all right? But what I do want to argue is that the word sin is a word that the church can never lose. And especially when we talk about sin in the light of what Jesus has done, is a word we have to reclaim, we have to hold on to, because it's real. The Bible talks about it, and sin is a work in our lives to keep us from God, to rot and ruin the heart. So what I've laid before you is sin, when we think about it, and what Jesus has accomplished, is, it's not a bad thing. The best thing you can do when you, your sin is exposed or you allow your sin to be exposed in the presence of God, it's, the last thing you need to do is to be scared of that because God knows exactly what to do with that sin that you're laying before him. All right, so God is the light. If you claim you have fellowship, yet you're not living in obedience to God, you're not being true to who you are. So who gets the name sin in the world? Because there are some things you would call sin that someone else in this room wouldn't call sin. So Barbara Brown Taylor, one of my favorite authors, set this out. And she's going to name some things that are sin in this quote that maybe you don't think are. She even mentions the word suicide. So I wanted to mention that for a moment. Because if you were to ask me a suicide of sin, I would respond with yes. It goes against what God created. It goes against how God wants us to live. But if you were to ask me, is the suicide sent people directly to hell? I would say no, because the grace of God is bigger than you could ever imagine. All right, so here's the quote. Check this out. All right, this is going to mess with you. I believe that the culture has already devised its own solution by downsizing the number of things we call sin. Suicide, divorce, and addiction are no longer considered sinful by large segments of the population. Nor are cohabitation and having children out of wedlock, sex before marriage is so routine that virgin brides and grooms are as rare as comets. We call lying spin and greed motivation. What is to be gained from condemning such things when people are going to do them all anyway? Why not respect the individual's freedom to choose since it is the individual who will bear the consequences? Does that mess with anyone in the room? Okay, let me talk just a little bit about how I think God would speak that and God would respond. You see, one of the reasons there are consequences to sin throughout the Bible is because God is aware of consequences. And the reason God doesn't want you to sin and step outside boundaries that he set up to protect the goodness of life, it's not just because God wants to rule the day. God is aware of if you allow a little sin into your life, what it can do to you in the long term, and how it can be handed on to the next generation. Do you remember throughout the Bible times when God would say things like, for those who are obedient, you will be blessed to the 10th generation or beyond. But for those who are disobedient, you will be cursed to the third or fourth generation. you remember that? Multiple times God talks about that. Now, I don't think the way it goes down is that there are people today being hit with fever bugs or stomach bugs or something like that because your great-great-grandfather, you know, ran some stoplight if there was a stoplight back then when he was around. I don't know if that's... I, I think what God is placing in front of people is that the rhythm you develop in your life of connecting with the Lord is handed on to generation after generation. And there are cycles that bear good fruit and there are other cycles that bear fruit that are not of God. Right, so what's it going to be? So what John does in verse 5 and 6 is lays before in front of people, God is light. If you claim you're walking in fellowship with him, yet you aren't acknowledging sin in your own life, you're not being true to who you are. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I've become really good about creating excuses in my own life, even when it comes to sin. Because something we are taught in our culture is if anyone accuses you of anything, your first reaction is defensiveness. Even if I know I'm wrong. I've been pulled over by cops before. I've been given three tickets in my life. I've been pulled over. The first ticket I got was one of those that shows up in the mail. It's a picture of you going through a red light. Casey had already had like six tickets before I got my first, and I would always like rub it in. I was like, baby, I'm such a good driver, and apparently you aren't. And she's the one that opened that envelope to see the picture of me going through the intersection. And I saw my wife dancing through the house, and she was so excited. But I've had, I've had three tickets. The other two tickets, I found myself in a conversation with the officer, and I was so upset. Like, man, you're really going to give me a ticket going 76 into 70? What about that five, like, mile per hour grace, that grace zone, you know? I was, I was wrong, but I find myself trying to make excuses. I got out of one ticket one time. Officer pulled me over. I saw him walking up. He said, sir, why were you speeding? I said, sir, I really wasn't paying attention. I was being honest. I really wasn't paying attention. I was just sitting here eating my beef jerky, cruising down the interstate. And he said, beef jerky? What kind do you have in there? I said, jalapeno beef jerky. He said, that's my favorite. I said, you went in on this? And he was like, let me have a piece. And he ate it, patted me on the shoulder and said, have a great day, young man. All right. So true story. All right. So now I carry six different flavors of beef jerky in my car. Logan, would this work with you, man? Would it work with you? You know, you're a teriyaki, black pepper guy. I know we can make excuses for our sin. I found myself years ago being convicted of this. I sometimes suffer from the as soon as disease, and you do too. That I often live my life thinking with God, as soon as I can get through this, I'll pray more fervently. As soon as I can get through this phase of my life, I'll take certain other places, other parts of my life more seriously. If once I, as soon as I get through this, I'll be more generous with my time and money. Do you ever find yourself doing this? As soon as I can do this, I'll take God more seriously. When, we, when it comes to sin, it's not just the violation of laws, it's the violation of relationships. So in verse 7, what you read, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. You see, the light that John talks about, the light in the Bible is not just something you believe in. It is something you were called to walk in. It's not just the belief you have in the light that has come or the light that is coming. It's we walk, in, we walk in this light. The good news in this is that when you walk in the light, sin's going to continue to flow from your life. But the promise here is that this blood of Jesus continues to cleanse you from that sin. It cleanses. It's this ongoing cleansing. That it's not just something that happened, it's something that still flows. It's continuous. Now, I lived too much of my life, and I, I did this a lot more 15 plus years ago, but I still sometimes find myself where I, I know an unhealthy emotion is developed in my mind or in my heart, or I know there's some sin in my life that I've got to deal with, yet it's part of me, I've allowed it to be part of me, and sometimes what I do is I look at Jesus and I'm like, look, you, you see what I'm doing, but... Your blood, your blood still got my back, right? Like your blood's still gonna cover me. So Barbara Brown Taylor, 
The woman I quoted earlier in the 70s, she was in divinity school at Yale, Bible school, Bible training. She's getting her education, and she, kept find her, she found herself going to the library, and she was wanting to check out certain books. Yet these books she wanted to check out, they, there was no record on them there. What she found out is, is these books kept getting stolen by people. So she went to the library one day, and she said, look, why, why are all these books being stolen? And the librarian said, did you know that in the Divinity Library, more books are stolen than any other library on this campus? And Barbara Brown Taylor said, why do you think that is? And the librarian said, their interpretation of grace. Because they believe all sins have already been forgiven, so they choose to take whatever they want now. Pretty good, right? Pretty convicting. Keep looking. Look in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, yet we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. I don't think anybody here would say that you are without sin, but I think a lot of us have become okay with our sin. So you make yourself out to be a liar. In verse 9, though, it says this, If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want you to understand the power of confession. There are times throughout the New Testament where confession is used as something you do about your sin. You confess your sin. But throughout the New Testament, the majority of the time the word confess is used is not about confessing your sin. It's confessing your allegiance to Jesus. And confession's both. Confession is about saying no to something. Confession is also about saying yes to something. And I don't know if anybody gets this better than some of our recovering community. When I was uh, in college, it was required by uh, one of my classes. I had to go to an AA meeting. So I went to hang out in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I learned a lot about the church there. And since Celebrate Recovery has been on our campus now for five or six years, where they meet here every Tuesday night at 6.30, there are times where I get to hang out in CR. And somewhere what I love and what I learn in these communities, is that they understand the value of confessing and the way they say no to something and the way they also say yes to something. They they have learned what many of us need to learn is that there are a few places where people agree to tell the truth about who they are. All their wounds, all their scars, all their brokenness, all of it is there. And what they learn is that that they, they gravitate towards a community where the truth can be spoken and where the truth works to create miracles of change. There's something freeing about confession. Now, most of us, though, were raised in certain cultures or in a world where the only time you confess sin in front of other people is if that big sin was about to find itself in the newspaper or on the news. And now that it's known in the public, we might as well let it be known to the church. Yet I don't think it's how Jesus set up the church. And in James 5, it talks about you confess your sin so you can experience healing in your own life. Look in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned and we, we make him out to be a liar, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. But let me go to the first two chapters, uh, first two verses of chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You, if you underline in your Bible or make notes, put a star around that. 
because here John appeals to Jesus the advocate. Uh, and what I want us to be careful of is um, pledging allegiance to the user-friendly Jesus. You've been to Build-A-Bear before where you can create a bear and whatever you want it to be. A lot of times we want to work Jesus through a Build-A-Jesus to structure and create him in however we want him to be. And it's easy for us to place in front of the world or to want to accept in our own lives the Jesus who is all-inclusive, self-affirming, and open-minded. And I think Jesus is those things. But you also need to know Jesus isn't only those things. Because what God Jesus killed, it wasn't that he talked about how the lilies would grow in the field or what got him killed, it wasn't just bringing people into a table or him going to a table where the marginalized were. What got him killed is he started talking to religious people and the folks who were just taken over by traditions, and he started calling them things like whitewashed tombs. And he went after religious people. And what got him killed wasn't that he was all-inclusive, is that he was also one who came to convict and to challenge and to break down what was keeping people from the heart of God. And what John does in 1 John 1 through 5, through what I read in chapter 2, is he appeals to light and darkness. To the light of God that continues to come into your life and to darkness that is at work in this world to, to keep you from being obedient and to keep you from the heart of God. So, um, uh, let, let's have a, a prayer time just for a moment. Because I know some of us, there are sins we've probably committed in our life, and we weren't calling them sins at the time, but 15 to 20 years from now, when our kids reach a certain age, they're going to be sins we want them to know that maybe we didn't acknowledge in our own life. And there's some of you in the shades and in the shadows or in a season of darkness today because of your own sin, but also, and I see faces looking at me right now, you find yourself in a shade or in a shadow or in that valley surrounding by mountains where you can't feel the rays of the sun because things that have been done to you or things that are happening because the enemy is at work in this world. And just like in this town, Rukin, where there's that cable car they built to lift people up and to carry them up to a mountain so they could feel and experience the sun, I think it's a beautiful image of what the church does when we engage in intercessory prayer, that we become that cable car that takes people and lifts them up to a mountain where they can feel the light of God. So if you find yourself in a place this morning, for any reason, where you would describe your life as one who is in the shades or in the shadows or in some season or phase of darkness, I just want to ask you to stand where you are. You, don't, you won't have a microphone in your face. I just want you to stand where you are. We're going to have a time of prayer over you. If there's anyone who feels like right now in your life you're in some shade, some shadow, some form of darkness, will you stand? always such beautiful moments here. Um, no one ever stands alone when we pray and when we engage in intercessory prayer here at Sycamore View. So somebody surround these people. Just put a hand on their shoulder. Let them know they're not alone. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray words and 
I ask you to pray in agreement with how I pray and what I say, and that may come in the form of a nod of a head or a mm-hmm, yes, amen. We want to pray in agreement. I want you to believe that what happens in this moment touches hearts and lives and can be a part of transforming the world. So as a church, it's not just something you listen to in this moment. It's something we participate in. Can we bow our heads? And God, to begin with, I acknowledge that your light has broken into this world. And in the very beginning, we read about a formless void. In some Bibles, it's also translated chaos. And that in that place, you spoke light over it. So whatever form of a formless void or chaos is represented in the lives of people who stood through the power that you had to speak a word, and that word would perform. Will you speak light into their life now? And let that word perform. God, we read in your word that when a word comes from your your mouth, it doesn't return to you void. It fulfills the purpose for why it was sent. So send forth now words from heaven that will speak into these hearts, either words of peace or words of conviction. If they are words of conviction, let them be. Let the people know that you have their best interest in mind and ultimately you want to lead them to a healthier place. God, we pray in the power of authority that was given to us by Jesus and everything he has accomplished, that those people who stood, who may be feeling weak, that you can provide strength that they didn't even know they had, to those who feel as if peace is so far away that you can speak peace into their life in ways that they didn't even know that they have. And that tonight when they lay their heads on a pillow or wake up in the morning, let them know that there is confidence that they can approach your throne with great confidence and great grace, and that there's a church who refuses to let them fall. So God, for these people, speak light, life, hope. Surround them with Jesus, above them, below them, to the left, to the right, in front, behind, and inside, to the glory of the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. Let's be seated. But those who are praying this morning, if you go ahead and get in your place, we'll have shepherds here to receive you. We have two tables. If there's any request you have, any darkness you want to speak, anything going on in your life, you would love for the staff and for the elders to pray over tomorrow. We have two tables. We'd love for you to go. If there's a name that you're, someone you're trying to invite to an Easter service because they don't know the Lord or they're far from the, far from the Lord, I want you to go to a table. Write their name. We would love to be placing that name before the Lord. So you see around us people who are here to receive people for prayer. And before we sing, I, I need to finish the story. Because this town in Rukan, Norway, they, they live in this valley six months a year. And just over a decade ago, there were some other people in that town, some artists, some engineers, who said, look, the fact that we have to leave this valley to go somewhere else to see and experience the rays of the sun, during the wintertime isn't good enough. We've got to do something about this. So they, they put their minds together, their creative juices together, and they decided what they wanted to do is to fly in three large mirrors and place them on the top of the mountain to reflect the rays of the sun down into this valley. And they came up with this great idea, but it was going to cost almost a million dollars, taxpayer dollars. So they placed the idea before the town, and as they did this, there was an uproar. 
There were petitions, and there were people who started, uh, they, they would write letters, these campaigns of, we can't let this happen. The money can go to other things, like education, and things that really matter for our town. Yet they ended up building them anyway. And those mirrors are now at the top where it reflects the rays of the sun to where now the ray of the sun can hit. And it's a little small area where the ray hits. But you can see this next picture. When the town experiences for the first time, <laughs> they all gather together and they're sipping on you know what. And they're, they're in sun chairs. And, they're, and, and the, the, uh, the opponents of that, when they saw the smiles light up on people's faces, they became okay with it. And I think this gives two images to you to take home today and two images for you to pray over other people. It's because sometimes what Jesus does is he becomes that reflection of the glory of God that for those of you who find yourself in a shade or in a valley, God's light can meet you where you are. God's light can shine into your life, can break into your life, can light up your darkness. And we pray for that to happen. But another way we think about it is there are times where you're in the valley and you're in that shade or that season of darkness and and God doesn't just want you to stay there and though his light's going to shine on you, he doesn't want you to stay there. You have to get up and get on something that can carry you away to get out of that place, to place you on a mountaintop or on the other side of a mountain where you can see and live and walk in the light. So can we stand together? Let's sing some songs. Feel free to go find somewhere to pray, someone to pray with you. If you have a need you want to bring before the church or you want to give your life to Jesus today, fill hearts right up here to my right to receive you. Let's sing together. Light of the world.